Chapter Two, Part One of Our Search for a Wilderness by Mary Blair Beebe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Lake of Pitch. Heretofore we had sailed and paddled through a land of mangroves and water, where, with the exception of one or two tiny muddy islets in the forest, there was no solid ground. One day, the last of innumerable turns of a narrow cano brought our sloop in sight of real earth, the first dry land of eastern Venezuela. A rough wooden wharf supporting a narrow-gauge line of rails appeared, and beyond rose a steep hill, dotted here and there with little thatched huts, each clinging to a niche scooped out of the clay. We were at the village of Wanoco, the shipping point of the Pitch Lake. A few steps beyond the last hut, and one was in the primeval forest. So limited is man's influence in this region of rapidly growing plants. For five miles, the little toy rails zigzagged their uneven way through the jungle. On one side was a swamp, into which one could penetrate but a short distance before encountering the advance guard of the mangroves, the front of the vast host which stretched eastward mile after mile to the sea. West of the track, the land rose ten or twenty feet in many places, but even where level, it soon lost its swampy character. At the end of the line, the strange pitch lake itself appeared as a great plain on the borderland between low swamps and the foothills of the mountains. This was our tramping ground, and we found it a veritable wonderland of birds and beasts and flowers. One of the first things which attracted our attention were the orioles or caciques, great black and yellow beauties with long whitish beaks and an infinitely varied vocabulary. In the north, our eyes were gladdened by the sight of a single pair of orioles flying about their nest in the elm. Here, in a single tree, there were sometimes over 150 inhabited nests, most of which were two feet or more in length. The more we watched these birds, the more interesting they became. They showed a real intelligence in the selection of a site for their nests. Monkeys, tree snakes, opossums, and other bird-eating creatures were abundant hereabouts, and for a colony of these conspicuous birds to conceal their nests successfully would be impossible. So their homes are swung out in full view of all, but one or two precautions are always taken. Either the birds choose a solitary tree which fairly overhangs some thatched hut or else the colony is clustered close about one of the great wasps nests which are seen here and there high up among the branches of the forest the indians and native venezuelans never trouble the birds which have been quick to realize and take advantage of this fact and weave their nests and care for their young almost within arm's reach of the thatched roofs no monkey dares venture here and the mongrel dogs keep off all the small nocturnal carnivores. 
but a colony of caciques which chooses to live in the jungle itself would have short shrift were it not for the strange communal guardianship of the wasps these insects are usually large and venomous and one sting would be enough to kill a bird indeed a severe fever often ensues when a man has been stung by half a dozen so the birds must in some way be immune to the attacks of the wasps perhaps their wonderfully complete armor of feathers scales and horny beak accounts for this while their quickness of vision and of action enables them to save their eyelids their one unprotected spot although the caciques cannot have learned from experience of the terrible wounds which the wasps can inflict yet they are keenly alive to the advantages to be derived from close association with them the wasp's nest is built far out on the tip of the limb of some forest tree and the long pendant homes of the caciques are placed close to it sometimes eight or ten on the same branch and others on neighboring limbs so near that the homes of insects and birds rattle against each other when the wind blows one such community was placed rather near the ground where we could watch the inhabitants closely frequently when one or two of the big birds returned to their nests with a rush and a headlong plunge into the entrance the whole branch shook violently yet the wasps showed no excitement or alarm their subdued buzzing did not rise in tone but when i reached up and moved the branch gently downward the angry hum which came forth sent me into the underbrush in haste from a safe distance i could see the wasps circling about in quick spurts which meant trouble to any intruder while the excited caciques squeaked and screamed their loudest whether the slight motion i gave to the branch was unusual enough to arouse the insects or whether they took their cue from the cries and actions of the alarmed birds i cannot say the nests are beautifully woven of very tough palm leaf shreds and grass stems in shape like tall vases bulging at the bottom to give room for the eggs and young birds with an entrance at the side near the top we found still another instance of the unusual ability of these birds to adapt themselves to changing conditions those nests which are already deserted or with young ready to fly had simple rounded tops arching over to protect the entrance from the sun but in the nests which were in the process of construction now at the beginning of the rainy season in early april there appeared an additional chamber with a dense roof of thatch in which one of the parents the male at least in one case passed the nights safe from the torrents of sudden rain another larger species of cacique dull green in color built solitary nests three feet or more in length but seldom near the homes of men or wasps here and there in the jungle some lofty tree raised its huge white bole free of vine and liana and smooth as a marble column towering far above all its fellows 
and out on the very tip of one of its swaying branches the nest was woven safe from all tree-climbing enemies the notes of these birds were like deep resonant cowbells ringing through the jungle clear and metallic during our stay in the village of Wanoko, we had abundant opportunity to observe the relations of a tiny hamlet like this to the great world of primeval nature all around the jungle pressed close instantly filling any neglected corner with a tangle of vines and shrubs ever ready to sweep over all and reforest the little clearings about the huts sloths were rare near the village as it had long been a favorite sunday amusement to go out and bring in one or more of these defenseless creatures for dinner but tree porcupines sphingurus prehensilis with bare prehensile tails and faces like little manatees were common as were those gentle little creatures of the night kinkajous Cercoleptes caudivolvulus, or couchy-couchies, as the Indians call them. Catching porcupines and sloths is about as exciting a sport as picking blackberries, the porcupine being too confident in its battery of spines to attempt to escape, the sloth relying with pathetic faith on its wonderful resemblance to a bunch of moss or leaves the english sparrows of the village were beautiful olive-green palm tanagers and great sulphur-breasted flycatchers which shrieked kiskadi at you as you passed by the french in trinidad tell you that the bird says kiskadi but the spaniard true to his poetic temperament says no senor el pajaro dice cristo fue which seems especially appropriate at this Easter season. Every day, one or two wild chachalacas would fly from the jungle to an open space near one of the huts and feed fearlessly with the chickens for an hour or longer. To our northern minds, the most remarkable thing was the innumerable variety of all forms of life seldom did we find many individuals of any one species but always there was a constantly changing panorama we would make a careful list of birds seen near our house noting certain ones for future study and the following day scarcely one of these would be visible but in their place birds of strange form and colors the same was true of the insects and the result was as bewildering as it was fascinating our habits of observation had all to be changed except when birds were actually nesting we could never be sure of seeing the same species twice although there was never any doubt that each day would add many new forms to our lists though we tramped for miles along the narrow indian trails and spent many days in swamps and dark jungles yet we were troubled scarcely at all with noxious insects jiggers there were in moderate numbers but one could collect more in one day in virginia than in a month here at this season 
during our entire stay we saw only about three or four minute ticks while mosquitoes were absent except at night if we dug in rotten logs we were sure to unearth centipedes and scorpions many of them but otherwise we rarely saw them once indeed a mother scorpion centurus margaritatus with half a hundred young ones on her back was discovered in a shoe bringing to mind the old nursery rhyme we found that much of the jungle was almost impenetrable and on one of our first excursions we were fortunate enough to find a means of making the birds come to us from the deeper recesses of the forest as we left the doorway a silent little shadow fitted into the pomerosa tree in front of us and soon among the glossy leaves came a sound which we had heard day and night but the author of which had thus far evaded us it is impossible to put into words but it may be imitated by a monotone whistle of about four notes to the second of a above middle c the glasses showed a mite of a pygmy owl glaring at us with wide yellow eyes and firmly clutching a dead bird half as large as himself later when standing at the edge of an impenetrable tangle of thorny vines and vainly trying to discover what bird was singing in loud ringing tones within it we thought of the fierce little owl and concealing ourselves gave the call of glaucidium the effect was instantaneous the song near us ceased and with angry cries a pair of beautiful black-capped mocking thrushes flew almost overhead black-tailed euphonias and grass finches followed banana kits whirred about us and within a few minutes thirty or forty birds had testified to the hatred in which the little owl is held a great surprise to our northern eyes was the yellow woodpecker not uncommon here and clad in bright yellow plumage from crest to tail it was very conspicuous in flight but when it alighted merged with the lichened bark and spots of sunlight one bird was very tame and frequented a tree close by our window one of our first walks led us through a narrow valley or gorge to the westward shaded by ranks of tall palms and with isolated banana and cocoa plants hinting of native indian clearings long since overwhelmed by the luxuriant jungle growth wasps and other hymenoptera outnumbered other insects at this season and one could have collected scores of different species in a few hours a few heliconia butterflies drifted across our path and now and then a giant morpho shot past like a meteor of iridescent blue other great butterflies caligo ileoneus were iridescent blue and brown above while the undersides of their wings were mottled and with a great eye spot on each of the hind wings which gives them the name of the owl butterfly but however much in an insect cabinet the expanded reverse of the wings suggests the face of an owl the spot as we observed it in the forest 
seemed rather to render the insect invisible these great fellows would shoot up to a lichen-covered trunk and drop lightly upon it and unless one's eyes had followed closely the butterfly vanished like magic creeping up to one we secured its picture the mottlings on its wings merging it with the lichens and its owl eyes becoming the painted facsimiles of darkened knot-holes or of little atoll-like fungus rings one is constantly impressed by the abundance and variety of these protective adaptations instead of one's eyes becoming more accustomed and trained in detecting these deceptions the puzzles increase and one becomes suspicious of everything every few minutes we are halted by a curled leaf which resembles some great caterpillar or by a partly decayed fruit which may prove to be a curiously marked beetle many of these are such exact counterparts that we have to touch them to undeceive ourselves after seeing some bats hung in the shadows between the buttressed bases of great trees we imagine them in every patch of moss or dried leaves the resemblance to inanimate objects is never violated and often remarkably heightened by the little creatures of fur feather scale or armor of chitin the bats never alight in a close compact mass but each isolated with its wings partly spread and often extended irregularly one webbed hand higher or further out than the other thus presenting a dull irregular outline at which we should never have looked twice had not the little beasties become frightened and flown a butterfly peridromia feronia mottled and pearly on the upper side snaps clicking to a lichened trunk and lights head downward with wings flat beneath they are white and conspicuous the inverted position allows the hinder wings to be pressed flat to the surface of the bark while the slight shadow caused by the prominence of the body in front is thus below and invisible another brilliant red on the upper side and irregularly marked below never alights as far as our experience went except on some lichened trunk in this case however the wings were held tightly together and the insect always in a head downward position the insect took to wings so quickly that only a hint of the red was visible we never could tell what new form of protective resemblance would next come under our notice here and there in the woods we found trees which had fallen in a clear space and had torn out their roots in the fall forming a great bank of earth and mold held together by the network of root fibers hanging suspended by slender root tendrils were many small pellets of earth slowly swaying and disintegrating we found that some of these were not mere accidents of inorganic forces but were the nests of a small mud wasp made in a roughly circular form and molded to one of the many rootlets lizards perhaps more than any other group of backboned animals became part and parcel of their surroundings in form and color 
we sometimes found dull gray and green fellows on the trunks of trees or on the ends of half-rotten logs which almost defied the efforts of the eye to disentangle them from the lichens and moss amid which they clung when one of these did move it was with such celerity that the eye unconsciously swept onward impelled by momentum and overshot the spot where it stopped then another careful search was necessary to rediscover the reptile this same glade was the favorite haunt of two kinds of small mannequins the gold-headed and the white-breasted the former was a mite of a bird barely four inches in length jet black as to body and wings but with a cap of gold pulled down over its head and ears if his eyes were black and beady like those of his near relatives the harmony of his headdress would be disturbed so dame nature had sifted the gold over his eyes as well and the yellow irides are almost invisible among the feathers such coloring renders him part of his beloved gorge if he sits in the shade his body vanishes and his head is not but a spot of sunshine if his perch is in sunlight the tiny headless body conveys no hint of a living bird his cousin the white-breasted is black and white and the four outer feathers of the wing are very narrow and curved these are the strings upon which he plays an aeolian song of love for every time he takes to flight a loud humming sound is produced the females are dull olive in color but easily recognizable by their orange feet and legs sometimes three suitors will buzz and hum together about one of these somber little ladies in the gloom of the gorge the rotten trees and palm stubs were filled with interesting insects big black palm weevils rhinchophorus palmatum an inch and a half long and huge brown cockroaches three inches from head to wingtip blaberus trapezoideus with a machete we cut open one log which was like bread in consistency and found two centipedes three scorpions one of them a whip scorpion a huge beetle larva a small snake with a faint band around its neck homolocranium melanocephalum and most interesting a parapatus perhaps the reader here wonders to himself what a parapatus is and it is a pity that this most important creature has no common name we may call it a worm-like caterpillar or a caterpillar-like worm for its claim to fame rests upon its position as a so-called missing link we know that in long ages past the ancestor of the butterflies beetles wasps spiders and crabs was a worm-like creature primitive in structure and in no way hinting of the beautiful organisms which were to be evolved in succeeding epochs hiding away from light in the warm moisture of decaying wood the little parapatus has lived on and on age after age with little apparent change until we find it today combining the simpler characteristics of the lowly worms with those of the vastly higher caterpillars 
the parapatus which we unearthed or rather unlogged was of a rich dark reddish hue it was caterpillar like in general appearance but not divided into segments while the number of its very simple feet and its method of progression brought to mind the millipedes the long slender antennae were constantly in motion changing and extending feeling about and retracting glancing at the leaf of a low shrub we saw what we supposed to be two bits of dried rolled up leaf entangled in a strand of spider web and being whirled about by the wind when we saw that this motion continued after the breeze had died down we became interested we discovered that the two objects were tenid moths of a dark pearl color waltzing about with the most graceful and airy motion imaginable with closed wings they whirled round and round by means of their legs alone and most remarkably both going in the same direction although this was frequently changed the reversal being almost instantaneous and without an instant's loss of the smoothness of the rhythm now and then their circles overlapped but at the first danger of collision the tiny dervishes both retreated without stopping their dance presently one flew away and the other shifted to another leaf nearby and recommenced his waltz alone it was a surprise to find these little winged millers in the role of graceful dancers the reason of it remained a mystery these incidents are quoted at some among the myriad interesting things of the little jungle folk which we observed in the heart of these great jungles as we walked on virgin forest surrounded us with great trees centuries old chained and netted together by miles upon miles of lianas now and then we entered a clear glade festooned by a maze of ropes and cables with here and there a lofty monkey ladder leading upward by a wavy series of narrow steps the cicadas filled the air with the oriental droning of their song and a big red-crested woodpecker called loudly from a half-rotten vine-choked tree from the underground came a soft rolling trill a crescendo of power and sweetness and when our indian carrier whispered gallina del monte we knew we were listening to the call of the great blue tinamou one of those strange birds looking like brown tailless fowls but of so generalized a type that they form in many ways a link between the ostrich-like forms and the rest of the bird world the bird which was calling soon became silent but creeping slowly along we were fortunate enough to discover its nest on a bit of sunny turf near the end of a log in a particularly overgrown clearing all the delights of bird nesting seemed consummated the moment we caught sight of the two wonderful eggs before us the nest was merely a hollow scratched in the grass but the sun was reflected from two shining spheres of metallic greenish blue like two huge turquoises polished as by the wheel of a lapidary never were such eggs they seemed of hard burnished metal 
more akin to the stones lying about them than to the organic world and yet even as we looked there appeared a tiny fracture and in a few minutes the beak of a tinamoo chick had broken through to the outer air the glistening cradle of stone would soon fall apart and give to the tropical world another life one more moat among the millions upon millions about us now and then we would come across a huge low mound clear of undergrowth dotted with holes from which well-trodden paths led off in every direction some of these were six inches in width so that we could easily walk in them a twig poked down the holes and twisted about would come up covered with angry ants great brownish black fellows with a grip like a bulldog even this simile fails for these insects will allow their heads to be pulled off before they will let go everywhere the ants attracted our attention huge black giants neoponera commutata which seemed never to have anything to do but parade slowly up and down the trunks of trees and the ever busy parasol ants hustling along in a single file waving their green banners and clinging faithfully to them while falling down terrific precipices three or four inches deep we dug into their nests and found their fungi gardens one part of which would be freshly planted with neat black balls of chewed up green leaves while in another part the fungus was well grown a meshwork of gray strands whose fruit was ready to be plucked and eaten the hunting ants Eseton, surpassed all the others in interest day after day we would come across their great armies and we spent many hours of keen enjoyment watching their advance we had read of their appearance and habits we had heard them compared to goths and hordes of savages but no description prepares one for the actual sight we watched in particular one large army which carried on its operations only a short distance from our house long before we came within sight of the ants themselves their presence would be heralded by the flock of birds which kept just in advance feeding upon the insects which flew up from the van of the ant legions in one such assemblage most of the birds were wood hewers big cinnamon-colored creeper-like birds which hitched up the tree trunks and now and then swooped down to the ground snatched an insect and swung back to the trunk this flock of birds showed other methods of feeding hummingbirds appeared from nowhere dashed down to a tiny insect and vanished into space anise blundered along looking as if their wings and tails were too loosely attached for use ant birds crept low through the bushes and carried their prey to a twig to eat two american redstarts and several tyrant flycatchers caught their prey by a sudden dart and a snap of the beak one species in particular the streaked flycatcher was always attendant on the ants and always fearless watching us 
and yet never missing a chance to snap up a passing insect. End of chapter 2, part 1